brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Welcome to the Dynamic Duel Podcast, a weekly show where we review superhero films and debate the superiority between Marvel and DC by comparing their characters in stat-based battle simulations. I'm Marvelous Joe. And I'm his twin brother, Johnny DC. And in this episode, we are going to review the Hulu animated series, MODOK, which was produced by Marvel, about their AIM organization, Supervillain. Yeah, it's one of the few projects that they produce nowadays that is outside the MCU. So it's pretty unique, it's pretty funny, and it was a pretty good show. Yeah, we'll talk all about it later on this episode. It'll be a spoiler review, so make sure that you've seen it before you hear our thoughts on it. Yeah, it's only about 10, 30-minute episodes. I was able to get through it in like two days. It wasn't hard at all. No, not at all. But before that, we're going to break down the comic book movie news to have come out in the past week, of which we only have one major news item, and that is we've gotten our first look at Zachary Levi's updated costume for Shazam! Fury of the Gods, which is currently filming. Yeah, it's kind of a slow news week. But that gives us plenty of time to, you guessed it, Plug our Patreon once again. Jonathan, <laughs> what have we been doing this past month? Pushing our Patreon like really hard. And why have we been doing that? Turn back any lost revenue we may be making by switching to Apple Podcast or Spotify's paid subscription model. And how long do we have to do it? We have until the middle of July when the Black Widow movie comes out. And how many patrons are we looking to get? 100. Right, guys, if we don't reach 100 patrons by the time the Black Widow movie comes out and we review it, then Jonathan and I will be putting the show behind a paywall, which Apple and Spotify now let podcasts do, in a new model that lets podcasts monetize their shows. Which means that our show will no longer appear on other platforms, such as Stitcher, such as YouTube, CastBox, and many others, potentially, depending on whether we meet our goals. And just to clarify for you guys out there, we know it's kind of ridiculous saying, hey, if you want to keep the show free, give us money. But really, again, you're paying for bonus content, not the actual show. And you're helping keep the show free for everyone who listens. And speaking of bonus content, what do we have going on that's new this month? We just sent out our first set of Dynamic Duel Marvel vs. DC pins, this month featuring the Red Hood and the Punisher. Right, we're only sending out the Red Hood vs. Punisher pin set this month, June 2021. So if you want that pin set, be sure you sign up for $10 or $18 tiers, and we'll get that to you in the mail. And we have photos of those pins on our social media accounts. I think it's probably easiest to find on Instagram, so definitely check that out. They're pretty awesome 1.5-inch die-cast iron pins. What else new do we have going on this month, Jonathan? Our very first movie watch-along. We don't know what movie it's going to be yet. Our executive producers are still deciding that. They're leaning toward Batman Ninja. Which is dope. I could watch that movie, like, any time. <laughs> it's a really cool movie. Yeah, our first watch-along party is going to take place on Saturday, June 19th. So sign up for Patreon and join us then. We want to give a quick shout out to Son of Arumand and Andrew Ouellette for signing up for Patreon this past week. Guys, we are so close to hitting our goal of 50 patrons, at which point Jonathan and I will release a bonus audio episode of this podcast every month exclusively for patrons. Again, guys, visit patreon.com slash dynamic duel to sign up for these bonus benefits. 
But I think we've talked about it long enough. So with that out of the way, quick to the no prize. A no prize is an award that Marvel used to give out up until the 90s to fans. Our version, the Dynamic Duel No Prize, is a digital award that we post on social media that I personally draw for those who we feel gave the best answer to our question of the week. Last week's question was, are you more or less excited for the Eternals since its teaser trailer and why? And that was coming off of the release of that first teaser for that movie that came out a couple of weeks ago. Uh, It didn't give us much in the way of plot or anything, so we wanted to get your guys' thoughts on how it may have changed your opinion of the upcoming film. Yeah, we got a number of answers. We want to give a few of them honorable mentions before we announce this week's No Prize winner. Our first honorable mention goes to Shane Habazin, who said, What's up, Johnny and Joe? It's Shane here. And I am actually more excited for the Eternals because of something that I've been thinking about them not interfering because they've known that there were heroes that can handle those certain like predicaments or whatever. So they didn't interfere until after the snap because the heroes on earth couldn't handle it. So just a little thought in my mind made me more excited after. And it looks like he got cut off, but he does present a sound theory. Maybe the Eternals were just kind of like, eh, those guys got it. We trust them. And then when all of a sudden they couldn't beat Thanos, they're like, holy crap, maybe they don't have it. Maybe we can't always trust them to save the day. So we got to step up. I can see that working in the movie, although it's a little bit apathetic. Yeah, totally. These people who helped like shape mankind are all of a sudden like, we know this guy Thanos has the Infinity Gauntlet, the most powerful weapon in the universe, but we're going to let you guys handle it. It's a big question that they definitely need to answer in the movie, and it better be a really good reason why they didn't get involved. I just think it's probably because there was never as big a threat as Thanos up until that point. But we'll see. Great answer, Shane. Our next honorable mention goes to AJ Dunkerley, who said... What's up, Dynamic Duel? It's AJ. Um, you know, I gotta be honest, I'm in the middle, because I wasn't really on board with the movie. I feel like they should be doing more... Uh, X-Men stuff just because they now have the rights for it and the only reason I'm really excited to see this movie is just to see Kit Harrington as Black Knight. I've always been a fan of that casting so hopefully we get a full-on Black Knight suit. Thanks. Yes, we need to see Black Knight in his costume. This is absolutely 100% perfect casting with Kit Harrington in the role. If we don't see Black Knight in costume, I'm gonna be pissed. Dude, you know Marvel plays the long game. I doubt we're going to see like the Ebony Blade or anything like that in this movie. How fucking dare you say that? (laughs) We better see the Ebony Blade. Uh, I want to see full on Black Knight in this movie. I don't want to see a tease. I want to see Dane Whitman in all his glory. That sounds like I meant naked, but I don't. Yeah, yeah. I mean the opposite. (laughs) In full on costume. And yeah, we are hoping that since the Eternals have their roots in, you know, early man and they were developed at the same time that the Celestials put in the genetic potential for mutation within the human race, we're hoping that the Eternals film sets up the X-Men. Yeah, the sooner we see mutants on screen, the better. Absolutely. And hopefully the next Eternals trailer gives us a lot more story details and or teases some more of the spectacle that we're going to see. I don't know. Marvel seems to really be not putting forth too much plot in their trailers. Like, look at Black Widow. Yeah. We don't really know what that movie's about yet. That's true, and we've had several trailers on that already. Good point. The great answer, AJ. Our next honorable mention goes to John Starosky, who for some reason wants us to call him Spoiler. (laughs) Actually, it's a running joke on our Discord. He's one of our executive producers, and he spoils the shit out of everything. He said... Spoiler Starosky here. After seeing the Eternals trailer, I am more excited for it. Not really because of a new plot presentation or a villain revelation or anything like that. It's actually because it's new content, and I am just thrilled after last year to get new content. It was such a dry time, especially being a comic book movie and TV fan, and the new content is what I crave. I think the only way I'm going to call him Spoiler is if he legally changes his name to that, and or gets a tattoo of it. Yeah, of the spoiler, of Stephanie Brown. Right. The DC character. Yes, exactly. (laughs) But he's right, you know. The question we asked may be even a little bit ridiculous, considering beggars can't be choosers. You know, we've gone so long without superhero movies and superhero content. At least on the Marvel end. Right, yeah, exactly. So it's like, how can you not get excited for something that's new, including Black Widow, including Shang-Chi and Eternals? Of course, you're going to be excited regardless when it comes out, because it's been so long since we've had that experience. Great point, Starosky. 
We want to give another shout out to Eli Morehouse, who also took the time to go onto our website, click that record button, and record us an answer. Thank you very much for doing that. But the winner of this week's No Prize goes to Corey Wooten, who said... Hey guys, Corey Wooten here. Um, I would definitely say more excited. Um, last year, when the news broke initially, I wasn't wasn't super excited about this property. I'm not real familiar with them, um, and still I'm not. Um, looking forward to seeing what they can do. The cast looks great, um, and just just miss going to the dang movies, which um, ups the excitement. And I'm in the same boat as Corey. You know, I I don't really know anything about the Eternals. I was not excited when they announced this. But this first footage, like I mentioned earlier, has definitely piqued my interest. I love mythology, and this really looks like it's going to go into the history of the Marvel Universe. Yeah, does it make you wish that the New Gods franchise didn't fall through? I mean, I feel like we got a pretty good setup from the Zack Snyder's Justice League. They're probably not going to follow through with that. I don't think Eva DuVernay's take would have followed through on that. But hopefully down the road, we do see more of those characters. Congrats again to Corey Wooten for winning this week's No Prize. If you, the listener, want a shot at winning your own No Prize, stay tuned to later on this episode when we'll be asking another question of the week. And now that that's done, on to the news! Okay, so filming for the Shazam sequel, Shazam! Fury of the Gods, is underway, and we got our first look at Zachary Levi's updated costume, and they've made a few changes. Yeah, for the better, in my opinion. There's some different coloring on it now. There's like some darker red on the sides. There's just a different texture to the whole thing in general. Yeah, the first film's suit texture was kind of rubbery with a pillowy look. With this costume, I think the sculpt on the suit is a little bit better so his muscles don't look like they're made out of cotton so much. Yeah, it's a much more realistic sculpt, I would say. I don't know if he looks as buff, but he looks more realistic. He looks more defined. Yeah, exactly. I think one of the most notable changes is actually his lightning bolt. In the first film, that design was very much based off of the new 52 Shazam design. So like the lightning bolt in the middle glowed, right? Mm -hmm. This one looks like the whole lightning bolt is just entirely gold. And I'm not going to lie, I kind of miss the glowing lightning bolt. Really? Yeah. I like it better in concept, but I don't think they pulled off the glowy lightning bolt as well in its execution in the first film. It was a little bit too bright yellow. I guess you could argue, yeah, it was probably a little bit too, like, LED in a way. But I do have to say that the new lightning bolt on his chest totally fits with the updated texture of his gauntlets and his belt. Those look really cool. They're a lot more sleek. They're a lot less based on the new 52 design. And they look almost like, I don't like Iron Man gauntlets or something like that. Like Iron Man meets Wonder Woman. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, Captain Marvel has always had a pretty unique look. Uh, Sometimes his cape would have tassels. Most of the time, his cape came up in like, I don't know what to call it, like a Dracula-style collar on his cape. Yeah, like a high collar. Yeah, Yeah. right, right. In the New 52, they replaced that with a hood, which they also used in the first movie. But in this film, the sequel, Fury of the Gods, they're not doing the hood at all, or a collar. I liked the hood. The director, David F. Sandberg, on Twitter basically said that he's not going to be having the hood in this film because there were no scenes where he was going to be using it anyway, and he wanted to try something else. There was only one scene, I think, in the first movie where we saw Shazam with the hood, and that was when he was, like, tapping on the window trying to get Freddy's attention. Okay, yeah, that's right. I think the whole hood was introduced in the comics to make him appear more like a wizard, Uh but it never really worked. Honestly, I kind of missed the high collar. It kind of set his silhouette apart from Superman. That said, I don't hate the new cape in the new movie. It is interesting that we're seeing these photos of the new Shazam costume before we're seeing the Black Adam photos, considering that the Black Adam movie comes out before Shazam Fury of the Gods. That's true. I mean, The Rock did give us like an updated silhouette look, I guess, at Black Adam recently on his social media accounts. That costume actually has a hood and like a tattered cape, which looks pretty cool. But you're right. I want to see him in the suit already. Not just concept art done by Boss Logic. As cool as that is, I want a photo of Black Adam. And hopefully we get that soon. I wonder if this new Shazam design at all is inspired by what they're doing with Black Adam. Hopefully. I'd like to see continuity there. That's my biggest question. Because in the Boss Logic concept art of Black Adam, he did have like the glowing lightning bolt like Shazam did in the first movie. So who knows? I would like to think that this new Shazam suit was designed to complement The Rock's Black Adam costume. Yeah. And I can't wait to see those two characters go head to head. Hopefully, eventually. The first Shazam movie didn't make much in the box office, but it was critically loved. And since The Rock produces that, if they could keep that ball rolling with Black Adam and this Shazam sequel, we've got to see those two characters go head to head. It just got to happen. This costume is great. I think it's certainly an improvement over the first film overall. 
And that brings us to our question of the week. Which Marvel or DC character has had the most improved costume between their sequels? A lot of options here. We want to hear what you guys think. Record your answer at dynamicduel.com by clicking on the red microphone button in the bottom right-hand corner, which will prompt you to leave us a voicemail. Your message can be up to 30 seconds long, and don't forget to leave your name in case we include you on the podcast. We'll pick our favorite answer and draw that person a Dynamic Duel no prize that we'll post to social media. Be sure to answer before June 12th. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. But that does it for the news for this episode, so let's go ahead and get into our main event, where we discuss the Hulu original television series and Marvel-produced series, MODOK. Okay, the Hulu and Marvel television series MODOK was created by Jordan Blum and Patton Oswalt initially as part of a group of shows that would lead into a crossover series called The Offenders. That show was going to include MODOK, Howard the Duck from a show run by Kevin Smith, Hitmonkey, and The Tigra and Dazzler show. Out of these, I'm really glad that MODOK survived Marvel Television's folding into Marvel Studios in 2019, primarily because of the comedic talent behind this show in particular. Yeah, this was the only show to survive. Right, well actually this one in Hitmonkey, though we haven't seen any progress on Hitmonkey since God knows when. Oh really? I didn't know that. Yeah. This turned out to be quite a good show. If you haven't watched it yet, highly recommend watching it before you listen to the rest of this review. Since this is a spoiler review, as all of our episodes are, and you don't want to spoil this show for yourself because there are a lot of jokes we're going to spoil, some touching moments, and a few plot twists as well. It's definitely worth checking out if you have Hulu. But as I was saying, I was really excited for this show because Patton Oswalt is one of the funniest comedians ever. He's a big nerd for Marvel and DC. And Jordan Blum, the other showrunner, has also produced and written for some hilarious television shows like American Dad and Community. When I first heard of the show, I wasn't initially entirely sold on the premise where we see Modoc struggling to maintain his organization aim and a family, which was like, what? Modoc never had a family in the comics. That is, until recently when Patton Oswalt and Jordan Bloom actually wrote a Marvel Comics miniseries that gave Modoc a backstory where he had a family as George Tarleton before he became Modoc. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know Patton Oswalt was writing comics. Yeah, that particular series was called Modoc Head Games, and we briefly discussed it as part of his history in our previous episode, Hector Hammond vs. Modoc. Now, I probably would have preferred if the show were just an aim workplace situational comedy like The Office, but before I saw the show, I assumed the family angle would work regardless, because Modoc is just so absurd, so ridiculous looking in his appearance, and his megalomaniacal attitude, you can bring silliness to it. Now, reviewing this is a little bit tricky, because when producing a comedy series, 90% of whether the show is any good or not depends on whether the show is actually funny. And yet, humor is so subjective. You know, what's funny to one person is not funny to another, and there's so many kinds of humor, so recommendations for a comedy series really mean nothing unless you watch it for yourself. But I will say that I thought the show was mostly funny, even hilarious at times. But its style of joke making is to kind of launch 100 jokes at you a minute. And honestly, that can get grating after a while. Yeah, especially when not all of the jokes land. Right. I also thought that this show is funny, just not as funny as I thought it could have been or wanted it to be. You know, when I compare it to other shows that I really love, comedy shows, like 
I don't know, Rick and Morty. Mm-hmm. I feel like Modoc got a lot of chuckles out of me, but not enough like, oh my gosh, my stomach hurts. I'm laughing so hard, you know? <laughs> right. That's true. And when it comes to comedy, I don't really like the throw it at the dartboard and see what sticks approach. I mean, sure, eventually you are going to find a joke that absolutely kills, but that's just playing the odds, you know? I'd say that out of the show's gags, I found about 40% of them amusing and about 10% laugh out loud funny, which is, you know, it's not too bad no. for a comedy series. Good enough for me to have fun with the show and like it overall, I would say. Agreed. It was surprising to see that this show was TVMA. I, for some reason, didn't go into it realizing that or knowing that. <laughs> so for a Disney property, I thought it was a pretty risky move on behalf of Marvel to even make this show. And I do think that's one of the reasons a lot of their shows for Hulu got axed. Right, because they're trying to keep Marvel family friendly. Exactly. The type of humor within this series is largely puerile and crass, which I'm personally a big fan of but it does have its occasional moments of cleverness. It's very much like Robot Chicken, albeit less random. But that's fitting considering MODOK was produced by Robot Chicken creator Seth Green and was animated by the stop-motion animation studio that makes that show called Stupid Buddy Studios. And I gotta say, I freaking loved the stop-motion animation here. It was definitely a step up from Robot Chicken's toy animation, and I was consistently impressed by how good things looked and how fluid it all moved. I'm not going to lie, I thought this was computer generated. It was you who told me that, no, dude, this was stop motion. It kind of blew my mind because you're right. This is really well done animation. Yeah, there's a lot of frames per second that's going on right here. And the models look really good. I kept trying to guess what they were made out of. They look like maybe plastic or maybe even wood, probably a composite of things. But the characters and the sets looked solid. I did notice that the mouths on the non-Modoc characters were actually superimposed on the model's faces. I don't know if you could see that. I think they do that in Robot Chicken as well. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. But it was convenient that like the AIM henchmen had no facial features or mouths <laughs> or anything like that. Yeah. It just made things probably way easier for them. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think I feel confident in saying that Modoc is the best animated Marvel or DC television series of all time in terms of the animation. For television? Yeah, yeah, I would agree. I mean, I can't think of a better one off the top of my head. Obviously, there have been well-animated movies like Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, Batman Ninja. It was really interesting how they added this kind of handheld camera effect to the show. I assume they did it by, like, cropping their shots and moving the frame slightly around the shot that they had. It was subtle, but I thought it added, like, a cool real-world sitcom cinematography effect that you don't really see with stop motion often. I think that's something they picked up from Robot Chicken. Yeah. Yeah. When I first saw the camera moving, I was like, holy crap, they really like took the time to move the camera with each frame <laughs> as they animated the characters. I, I doubt it. No, yeah. It's just pan and scan. Right, exactly. I think the thing that surprised me the most about this show was that although it was a silly comedy, the story did delve into some heavy themes, and I probably came away remembering its more weighty moments than its jokes. Like the concept of divorce and how it impacts families, the kids, the people involved, and his professional life, how Modoc loses his company and gets demoted, feels like no one likes him. It got pretty moving at times, particularly in the season's second half. Yeah, as unlikable as a character as Modoc is, and he, he was super unlikable in the show, <laughs> uh, it was kind of interesting how the writers were still able to paint him in a sympathetic and at times even relatable light, especially, like you said, towards the end of the season. Right, because you saw him working on himself. Yeah, you saw the character growing or trying to grow. Yeah, so the show had a good arc, and story-wise, I like how the show also veered into Rick and Morty territory at times, with like existential dilemmas and mind-bending plotlines, particularly regarding the show's time travel, where you have like an episode that extends beyond a lifetime, and the episode where the family is forced to kill robots who believe they're real. I actually think, since Modoc is a science fiction genius like Rick, the show could have incorporated more of those elements into the story, but I did appreciate the trippy mind bends the show did have regardless. Yeah, if Dan Harmon was brought on the show, oh my gosh, it probably would have been amazing. Dan Harmon and Pan Oswalt would be an unstoppable force, I think. <laughs> totally. I also appreciated the show's fan service and Easter eggs. There were so many Easter eggs in the show, I was thinking about how I was going to mention a lot of them in this review, but the season is so jam-packed with references to the comics and other pop culture, it just became too much to mentally keep track of. Uh, like, we could dedicate in a whole episode to breaking down the show's Easter eggs, and that would be a lot of fun. 
But while the Easter eggs are cool, they don't have any bearing on the actual quality of the story, so we won't mention them too much in our review. I just really liked them, and I'm sure everyone who watched the series was like, holy crap, look at that, look at that, look at that. And one of the best, most fun parts of the experience of watching this show was kind of pointing all of that out. What were some of your favorites? Uh, I like the beer commercial that had Wolverine and Thing cheersing their steins at the end. I thought that was cool. I liked the Fin Fang Foom restaurant. I thought that was cool. <laughs> I liked Fin Fang Foom acting as like Falcor, yeah. as like Modok was writing him in like a never ending story kind of dream thing. Yeah, that was hilarious. <laughs> He's like, yay! <laughs> <laughs> Even small things like how their tabloid was called Gossip to Astonish, based off like the Tales to Astonish comic book series, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. Things like that. Just everywhere. It's great. Yeah, it's always a nice realization to see the creators of the show be as big of fans and nerds as the audience. Yeah, absolutely. Another one of the best things about this series is the cast. I think the cast did a phenomenal job. I think everyone really brought a lot of nuance to their roles, at least the major roles, you know, people who weren't just off delivering one-liners. Right. Let's talk about them more in our character breakdown. Now, George Tarleton, a.k.a. Modoc, was played by Patton Oswalt who is just perfect in this role. Yeah, this show would not have been made without Patton Oswalt. No, like not only is the guy a hilarious comedian and genuine geek, but he gave an amazing performance with MODOK, capturing the outrageous narcissism, the loneliness and sadness, the facade of confidence hiding true insecurity. He made MODOK this complex, flawed character that was fun to loathe and at times easy to identify with, as you mentioned. This is by far my favorite version of the MODOK character. And I hope that one day Patton can play MODOK in the live action version of the character. Because he could totally do it. Absolutely. If they ever cast anyone else as MODOK in the MCU, I'm going to protest. Yeah. Not to knock Patton Oswalt's like physical appearance, but he does have the perfect stocky body type with like this prominent head that would fit the character so well. They even did like a joke behind the scenes photo of the making of this show that showed Patton Oswalt doing motion capture work that I thought was a pretty funny gag. (laughs) But he was in a MODOK suit and I thought it looked really good. Yeah, I saw that. That has to be like the biggest advertisement for Kevin Feige specifically. Like, please make this happen. Yeah, (laughs) please put Patton Oswalt as MODOK in live action. Now in this series, MODOK started off as this arrogant, inept leader who prioritizes his own needs above anyone else's and largely ignores his family. Through the course of the season, he hits rock bottom professionally, personally, and interpersonally. But he learns to work on himself, becoming a better man in the process. Regarding his wife, you know, Modoc overlooked her amazing accomplishments. He neglected his daughter's feelings, and he wanted his son to be normal so he wouldn't be ridiculed like him. But by the end, he learned to acknowledge Jody, support Melissa, and accept Lou. His growth in those last few episodes felt organic and real. And that's why it was so heartbreaking in the last minute of the show when he made the most unforgivable decision ever. Letting his family die so that he could realize his utopia. It was a choice that betrayed everything he had worked for with his wife and kids. Like, he nearly got them back. And I guess they teased here that the next season will be the redemption arc as he works to have it all and bring his family into his perfect world. But damn. That was a huge shock. It was a huge shock. That shot in episode 10 when he closes his eyes like tears streaming and then he opens them as Emperor Modok. It was a heart-sinking transition. It was so well done. Yeah, those final minutes were like a masterwork. So poetic, so tragic. Forcing a man to choose between, you know, his life's work and his family is so cruel, yet I think it's something most family men struggle with every day. Yeah, anyone who has a family, men or women. And it served to highlight that Modoc, yeah, he is a villain. Villains ultimately will always make the selfish choice, and that's kind of why they're villains. I thought the arc was handled really well. I really liked Modoc's story throughout this season. It's the highlight of the show, really. It's why you keep watching, along with the jokes. Now, Modoc's wife... Jodie Tarleton was played by Amy Garcia. Now, I've seen Amy Garcia in Dexter, but never really followed her career. Her character Jodie here was also pretty nuanced. I thought she was going to be more generic than she was, like most generic sitcom moms. But Jodie was flawed and interesting, just like Modoc. She also put her career above family. You know, she was portrayed as perhaps jealous, I think, with how selfish Modoc got to be, and I think wanted some of that for herself once she found some success as this lifestyle guru. 
But this idealized version of herself and her family that she presents to the public isn't actually real. Her home is very dysfunctional, and it seemed like she struggled with the pressure that came with her public image. Yeah, Jodi was an interesting character. You know, she had to be someone who would make you believe that she would fall in love with a supervillain. And yep. as the season progressed, you kind of got an idea of how they did sort of fit together as a couple. They share a lot of the same traits. Yeah, she was kind of a supervillain in herself, albeit not really dangerous to the public at large, you know? <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, she definitely had a selfish streak as well. But you didn't really hold any of that against her, aside from probably that one episode where she pulled the PR stunt, because she just felt human. In ways we can all be supervillains or superheroes, depending on the choices we make. I did think it was pretty hilarious during the Murder World episode when the robot Jody sort of like sacrificed herself to save everyone else. And they were like, oh, that wasn't the real amount. She's like, I can't believe you guys hold me to that standard of like, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm the person who had to sacrifice myself for the whole family. Yeah, I think it was evident she kind of like resented the pressures put on her. Yeah, yeah. Whereas Modok gets to be a shithead 24-7, you know, I could definitely see where she's coming from. Exactly. Yeah. The son of the family was Lou Tarleton, played by Ben Schwartz. Now, Lou initially annoyed me in this series, like in the first episode, but he quickly grew on me. And I love Ben Schwartz, who did the voice. He was in Parks and Rec, and he also did the voice for Sonic the Hedgehog in that movie. The whole show, all I heard was Sonic the Hedgehog. Really? Yeah, I was like, this is Sonic's voice. <laughs> but Lou was lovably simple-minded and weird, like his father, albeit in a different way from his father, but really secure in that weirdness in a way that Modok was not. Yeah, he was sort of like a lovable puppy dog in the way that he was like just excited for everything. Yeah. And Modok was really concerned by that because Modok had been ridiculed his whole entire life and he didn't want to see that for his son. He even told his son, like, I wish you were more like Tony Stark because everyone loves him. Don't be like me. Everyone hates me. Yeah, that was a really moving conclusion to a really terrible episode, in my opinion. <laughs> the whole, like, Asgard thing. I was yeah. like, ah, this sucks. I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> but you also see Lou go through some other emotional moments, like how he worries about how the divorce will affect his relationship with his mom and dad, especially after Melissa, his sister, goes to college. I can see why you liked him on the show and why he grew on you. Mm -hmm. I do have to say, though, he's probably my least favorite character on the show. Really? Yeah. I think most of his jokes were misses. And honestly, he kind of always felt to me like he was just an extra character, just there just to add a little bit more weirdness to the show. I don't know. I laughed at a lot of his stuff. I thought he was really charming and the most pure soul of the family dynamic. So I thought he was necessary. Oh, he's definitely a foil for like the rest of them. And maybe that's why I feel like he didn't quite fit. But to me, I think they could have dropped his character completely and really gotten into his relationship with his daughter. Yeah, Lou definitely had more screen time than Melissa. Let's talk about Melissa Tarleton, who was played by Melissa Fumero. Now, Melissa stands for Mental Entity Living... No, that, that's not true. She was named after Melissa Etheridge, and she knows it. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what they said in the show. That's hilarious. I do enjoy the actress's role on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I think that's a hilarious show with Andy Samberg. I really like Melissa Fumero. She didn't have a huge role here, but uh, she was definitely a chip off of Modoc's block, you know? In the way that Lou was like the most pure member of the family, Melissa was probably one of the more sociopathic, you oh, know? Oh, absolutely. But also the most competent, even though she was never acknowledged for that. But she was smart, uh, manipulative. You know, she did some catfishing, some gaslighting. She really knows how to get people to do what she wants and how to manipulate events. But beneath all of that was some real hurt and anger, I think, at her family for being so dysfunctional. But she wasn't like an evil character in any way. In a way, you almost think that she could be either like the world's greatest hero or villain, like whatever she chose to be. Yeah. I think that even if Modok never realized his dreams of world conquest, he definitely could have raised Melissa to achieve his goals. Like she was his ultimate legacy, I think, and he never actually recognized that. That's true. Yeah. One of the major themes of this show was legacy. And I think oftentimes, you know, as a father myself, Sometimes the greatest thing a parent can do for the world is just raise their child well. Definitely. Modok may not be capable enough to achieve his utopia, but he could have raised someone who would have been. Yeah. Humans are so selfish by nature, but I think parenting is one of the few times you're responsible for a life other than your own. Yeah, it's definitely one of the most selfless things. And, and that's actually a pretty deep thought there, I think. But as for the rest of the characters in this series, um, they didn't have huge roles. Even the AIM members like Monica and Gary, they didn't appear in every episode. The family was definitely the main cast. 
but let's talk about some of the side characters like Monica Rappaccini, who is played by Wendy McClendon Covey. Now, Wendy, I'm a pretty big fan of. I really liked her stuff in Reno 911 and Bridesmaids. I think those are the things that I've seen her in. I thought she did a really good job just being this really angry, brilliant genius. I love her antagonistic relationship with Modoc in the show. Yeah, it was like a love-hate relationship. She both admired him and despised him. Yeah, she was definitely the smartest person working at AIM, and she proved that to him, I think. That fight between the two characters uh, in the middle of the season was one of the most amazing things I've ever seen, and I don't think even our dual episode between Modoc and Hector Hammond held a candle to that fight. Hell no, and we knew that when they released the clip of that before the season even started. I was like, Ooh, we're not going to top that. Why even try? Yeah, we're not going to try. <laughs> but there were some other great comedians that worked on the show, including Beck Bennett, who did the voice for Austin Vandersleet, who is the exec from Grumble, the corporation that took over AIM. Did I say that Lou was my least favorite character? Because I take that back. It was, I was actually g- Austin. Yeah, I was going to say that. I was like, Austin's actually my least favorite character because he's such a fucking bro douche in this. And I think that's why they cast Beck Bennett. Because if you've ever seen his work on SNL, he definitely has the voice of a douche. You know? <laughs> and they really wanted to play up the douche factor with this role. And maybe they did it a little bit too well. Because every time he spoke, I was like, shut the hell up, Austin. <laughs> I think you kind of almost needed that, though, too, because that's definitely where Modoc was. Yeah. You needed to despise somebody even more than Modoc. Yeah. Again, Modoc isn't the most likable guy. So for his nemesis, you need someone even more unlikable, I right. guess. Absolutely. Also, there was John Daly on this show who played the Super Adaptoid. I thought he did a pretty good job. Super Adaptoid was pretty whiny in this show, but uh, I loved how he can just never get respect no matter what. That was a joke that always made me kind of like laugh out loud. Just like no one gave a shit about him. He's like, oh, you rotten kids. (laughs) Even though there was nothing wrong with them. Right, exactly. He was a perfectly handy robot. And they just kept calling him like the smoothie maker or the toaster or stuff like that. (laughs) Nathan Fillion was in this show. He played Wonder Man in a fantastic cameo. I was really excited that Wonder Man got kind of like his own episode because I'm a huge fan of Wonder Man from the comics. And uh, I'm surprised that we have yet to get to a duel with him. But that may be coming up. Like in our next episode? Like in our next episode. Teaser for who we're going to put him up against. But Wonder Man here was great. You know, he's an actor in the comics and in the show. So he has that very narcissistic personality. Yeah, he hates poor people and squirrels. It was weird. (laughs) (laughs) But was also still a better person than the Modoc family. Right. (laughs) uh, Represented by when he broke up with Jody for being so shallow. Yeah. Iron Man was played by John Hamm, who I still think sounds like Brendan Fraser. They have the same exact voice. I kept hearing Robot Man's voice come out of Iron Man's helmet. But I still think that's great casting. You know, John Hamm himself would make a great Tony Stark. John Hamm would make a good so many heroes. He could be a good Batman, Superman, almost anybody. Bill Hader had a few roles here, including Angar the Screamer. That whole group of like misfit heroes at the bar with no name had some surprising voices. Uh, Like Pound Cakes was voiced by Whoopi Goldberg. Right. I didn't know she would care about a project like this. And that's really cool that a legend like her was even in this. Honestly, I think the Marvel brand just attracts a ton of talent now. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Jerks. Even Alan Tudyk, who we've seen on the DC side of things, voice characters like the Joker, and he played Mr. Nobody on the Doom Patrol series. Here, he played Arcade. Oh, that was Arcade? Yeah. I totally thought that was like Mark Hamill or something. Yeah, he pulls off a good like Mark Hamill impression when he's doing Arcade's voice, yeah? Yeah, totally. That guy is just a genius when it comes to voice work. He could do anything. Yeah. It was really cool to see Arcade in this show. He's one of my favorite X-Men villains. And if you guys haven't listened to our Riddler versus Arcade duel episode, you are really missing out because that, I think, was one of our best episodes that we've done. Yeah, a few of our listeners have told us that that's their favorite episode. But that does it for the character breakdown. Let's go ahead and get into our episode breakdown where we discuss the highlights from the season. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. 
Sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So episode one was called If This Be Modoc, which was actually the name of the comic where Modoc first appeared. In it, Modoc's mom promises her child he'll change the world one day, which he tries to do by taking it over. Modoc manages to steal Iron Man's boot during a fight and tries to impress his AIM organization and his family with it. I love that the way he stole the boot was just essentially getting it lodged in his machine ass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're like, I stole it. They're like, no, it was wedged up there when Iron Man kicked your ass. <laughs> One of my favorite jokes from this episode was during that fight when uh, Iron Man was binging the Great British Bake Off in his helmet during the battle. <laughs> He's like, are you binging the Great British Bake Off in your helmet? He's like, not binging, savoring. <laughs> and then at the end of that battle, Modoc even like spoils the show for him. Yeah. <laughs> Such an evil thing to do. I also love how Iron Man stopped them because Modoc tweeted that they were about to take over New York before they did it. Yeah. He's like, current mood, going to take over New York City. <laughs> it was funny. <laughs> AIM falls into bankruptcy and Grumble executive Austin Vandersleet offers to buy a controlling interest in AIM. He transforms it into a corporate workplace with startup culture and an HR policy, which infuriates Modoc to no end. Modoc tries to regain control by killing Austin, but fails before the contracts are signed. Jody tells Modoc she wants a divorce. I think overall it was a great episode. My favorite line from this first episode was after Modoc got the neural inhibitor that prevented him from doing mind blasts. And he was like, it's idiotic to put a condom on the horse penis that is my mind. <laughs> I was like spit out my beer when I heard that. <laughs> Episode two was called The Modoc That Time Forgot. In it, Modoc plots to save his marriage by using a time machine to take his wife to a concert in the past. There, young Modoc, who I'll call Yodoc, because that's what the original television soundtrack refers to him as, he spots and follows his present day self to 2004. Modoc leaves the concert to try and kill young Austin, where Yodok confronts him about having never taken over the world. The two fight and Yodok is blasted into a time portal. Modoc and Jody check in on their past selves and relive their years raising a family, growing old, and realizing they belong together. Catching up to the present, they destroy the time machine, erasing themselves from history. New present Modoc moves out into a dumpy apartment and Yodok travels to the present timeline. It was so heartbreaking that, like, right before they died, they were like, we have to tell you one thing, you guys were meant to be to... And then they just, like, vanished. Yeah, that was heartbreaking, for sure. I do think it's kind of fitting that this show has Modok's, like, arch-villain be himself. Like, he's his own worst enemy. Yeah, it's kind of symbolic in that way. I thought the Modok versus Yodok fight was particularly well done. I really love the camera work. It had a lot of energy to it, which, again, was really surprising to see for a stop-motion animated show. The special effects were really well done. Oh, yeah. So there was a lot of energy there, but by the end of this episode, all the energy just plummeted when you see Modoc move into his new place at the Dire Suites, looking at himself in the mirror, talking to himself. It was just really sad. Yeah, when he's quoting that Third Eye Blind song, the lyrics are pretty fitting. Yeah, definitely. But the show is always able to save itself from getting too melancholy by throwing in some well-timed gags. Like that one where the super adaptoid poked his head in the bathroom and was like, do, 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 Yeah, yeah. <laughs> My favorite laugh out loud joke from this episode was when Lou asked what a Hoobastank was. And he was like, the Beatles of the late 90s. And you're like, who are the Beatles? And he's like, the Hoobastank of the early 60s. <laughs> Which is so hilarious because the CD that Lou was holding there, I had that CD as a kid. And I absolutely loved Hoobastank back in the day. Episode 3 is called Beware What From Portal Comes. In it, Austin tells Modoc to attend a leadership conference on the weekend he has his kids. Modoc brings them along to impress them, but is ridiculed in front of them by his grumble peers. Modoc's daughter Melissa attempts to teach him how to get their acceptance, but Modoc finds her mind games too time-consuming, and he instead transports aliens to the conference in order to save and impress everyone. This disappoints Melissa, and although Modoc manages to save everyone from the party-loving Seagramites, he learns that his daughter hates herself for seeking his approval. Please tell me the Seagramites are just something they invented for this show. They are. They're not from the comics. Thank <laughs> God. Why? You didn't like the Seagramites? <laughs> they were so weird. <laughs> hey, everybody. Good news. You can have sex with them. <laughs> yeah. I love their voices where they're like, hey, let's party, guys. <laughs> and when Modoc tried to zap them, they're like, oh, 
that tingles. Do it again. I'm getting close. I'm so close. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's hilarious. Episode four was called If Saturday Be for the Boys. In it, Modok goes to a supervillain club to drink, but is mocked and reduced into going to a dive bar with other low-tier bad guys. He tries to get them to join him in a plot to steal Captain America's shield in order to impress the higher-tier villains, but lies and tells them there's money involved. Modok accidentally reveals his true motivations to the group, and the low-tier bad guys reject him. He apologizes to them, and they take him back as a friend and forgive him, but Melter quietly passes away after their night together. This was probably my favorite episode. I feel like really? this is where I started to really get into the show and, and sort of notice how, even amidst all the dick jokes, how mature the show could be. Yeah, I, I definitely think the early episodes were not the best. I think the show definitely picks up its stride in the latter half. That being said, episode four, I, I didn't love too much because I think there were just too many meatloaf jokes. Well, yeah, that's um, true. I was just really waiting for them to get on with the story. And I think the season really picks up quality-wise in the next episode, episode five. But before we get there, I really love the supervillain cameos that they had in this episode. Like at the bar, the leader, Mr. Sinister and Madame Mask were like the high-tier villains. Yeah. And like Pound Cakes, Angar the Screamer, Armadillo, all the other loser villains had to go to a dive bar. Were those all real Marvel villains? Yeah, all of them. I really want to know what the Melter's perfect grilled cheese food truck name was. I know. They never revealed that. I would have liked to have known that too. Because Modok had some pretty good ideas himself. Like the monster truck, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. That's pretty good. Yeah. I also got to say the whole like pontoon boat thing, the thing that everyone really wants, really hit close to home. <laughs> I want me a pontoon boat. Like real bad. I laughed out loud at the pawn shop owner who like for some Jeez. damn reason just like started dismembering himself right. with Modok's buzzsaw because he was like fascinated with it. <laughs> like it's so freaking weird. That was hilarious. And I laughed out loud at uh, the mandrill's penis. That oh, was blurred. Jeez, that was gross. <laughs> Episode five was called If Bureaucracy Be, Thy Death. In it, Modok attends Melter's funeral where he contemplates his own mortality and goal of world conquest. He attempts to get his black hole gun from AIM, but faces red tape while Monica is forced to take three months vacation. They decide to team up to achieve their objectives, but Monica betrays Modok and the two fight. Monica wins and is named AIM's new scientist supreme while Modok gets demoted. He goes to Avengers Tower and throws rocks at Iron Man, claiming victory for the Melter. Austin is revealed to be working for Hexus, the living corporation. Now is that a real Marvel villain? Yeah, actually, it's a parasitic organization that was introduced in Marvel Boy. Interesting. Yeah. This episode, of course, featured the awesome fight between Monica and Modok, but it also introduced the gigolos, the silicon body doubles that Monica created, uh, who I freaking loved. I love the catchphrases that Modok tried to teach his doppelganger, like, this big boy likes big, big burgers, <laughs> and like, paging <laughs> Dr. Horny. <laughs> that was great. And during the actual fight, when uh, Monica actually kills Modok, and she's like, I'm not done with you yet. And she, like, resurrects him, and he's like, oh, the religions are wrong. <laughs> I thought that was funny. And, of course, this episode had the infamous Iron Man is a wet bitch line. Why am I a wet bitch? Because of this. <laughs> episode six was called Tales from the Great Bar Mitzvah War. In it, Modok throws all of Lou's magic tricks down a trash can portal he made to Asgard in an attempt to get Lou to act normal for his upcoming bar mitzvah. Lou falls into the portal and gets kidnapped by kobold goblins. Modok goes after him and finds Lou performing magic tricks for the kobolds and not wanting to leave his newfound fame. Modok recruits Asgardian warriors to war with the kobolds over his son. After a failed truce meeting, Lou uses his magic tricks to convince the kobolds he sought his dad in two, and Modok starts to like magic, but back on Earth, the rabbi convinces him Lou is using magic tricks to cope with the hurt he feels over the divorce. The trash can portals at the beginning of this episode might be my favorite joke in the entire season. Really? Yeah. When he's like, every time I feel down, I throw an empty string cheese wrapper down into Asgard. And he's like, and this trash can is a portal to my stomach where I can eat two things simultaneously. And he starts pouring a gallon of milk down his stomach portal. And then, of course, he pukes it up. And Gary's like, <laughs> oh, I can't see Bombard or all puke. And he pukes into the trash can. And Monarch's like, no. <laughs> it was just a great gag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I laughed my ass off. That was great. I did think that uh, the whole Asgard thing was a missed opportunity to show Thor. You briefly see Thor in this episode when he's riding his goat chariot. Oh, really? Yeah, that's where Modok gets the idea to form his own goat chariot with the fainting goat and the screaming goat, uh, <laughs> which I thought was fantastic. Although we probably did hear like five too many goat screams in the course of this episode. I would agree. Yeah, definitely. Again, not my favorite episode. 
But how can you say that when it had the best pun? When the rabbi was like, I may be a silly rabbi, but tricks are for kids. <laughs> that was laugh out loud great. I thought that was hilarious. It, it was almost like the whole like Jewish angle was built into the show for that single yeah. joke. <laughs> it was so groan inducing. They even like paused to let that moment sink in. <laughs> it was great. Episode 7 was called This Man, This Makeover. And in it, during a food run, Modoc runs into Jody, who's sleeping with Wonder Man, the superhero slash actor. Convinced he could win her back if he were more handsome, Modoc gets a makeover with his daughter Melissa's help. Modoc attends Jody's paperback release party and gets into a fight with Wonder Man. It turns out Jody's relationship with Wonder Man was a PR stunt arranged by Jody's publicist. Modoc tries to play the victim from the fight, but Jody takes Wonder Man's side. Lou and Melissa act out by using their dad's drunk ray gun on themselves. Modoc reads Jody's book finally and cleans up his life, and Wonder Man dumps Jody for dating him for fame. Modoc signs the divorce papers, but in a surprise, Jody rejects them, kissing him instead. I thought it was an interesting twist that Jody's publicist ended up turning out to be the super adaptoid. Yeah. And that Yodok was still manipulating things behind the scenes. Right, just trying to tear the family apart. There were a lot of funny gags in this episode. I really love the beginning when Wonder Man's like, oh, your husband was bitten by a raccoon and has rabies. And he was like, wrong, I ate baking soda. And if I did have rabies, it would not be from a raccoon. It would be from the many rats that I live with in my apartment. <laughs> and when he finally gets the invitation to the paperback release party and he's like, activate self-destruct mode. And like he forms this fishbowl over his head that like slowly fills up with water. And, and his system was like two minutes until that sweet release. <laughs> and Melissa's self-destruct mode was like a pillow over her face. Yeah. And when she agrees to help him with his makeover and he's like, Looks like my teenage daughter is going to help me get laid. <laughs> and he puts on his sunglasses. Yeah. <laughs> In this episode, I think we had a good moment of Lou and Melissa bonding using the drunk ray gun, where they actually admitted that their mom kind of sucks too, and that no one is really handling the divorce well. But the line that would have made my monocle pop if I wore a monocle was when Jody was like, eat my pussy chicken goop. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck did I just hear? <laughs> Episode 8 was called, Oh, We're Blood Thicker Than Robot Juice. In it, Modoc's family seemingly gets back together as his wife and kids suddenly transform into his version of their ideal selves. It turns out Yodok kidnapped the real family and is using robots in their likeness to prove to them that Modoc doesn't accept them for who they are. Modoc eventually realizes they aren't real and tracks their robot signals to Yodok's lair. The group is then forced into Yodok and Arcade's death trap, where they have to determine and kill whom among them is a robot or die. Yodok ends the game early and nearly kills Modok, but the family defeats him and saves Modok from dying. This was another great episode. I, I love this episode. I, I like this one a lot, too. Yeah. I love how it appears that Modok's ideal life is to just eat a lot of food and start a family band. That's my dream, too. Yeah. <laughs> And I really thought it was clever how the characters in the show determined who was a robot and who wasn't. Although Melissa, you know, she just kind of believed she was the real Melissa and just killing the other two and she just got lucky. Right. Whereas they found the real Modoc because he couldn't remember his real anniversary and how Jody's robot was like more selfless than she was. But it all ended with two Lou's being left over, which everybody just kind of decided was cool. Right, right. They didn't want to risk losing the real one. Mm-hmm. Episode 9 was called, What Menace Doth the Mailman Deliver? In it, Modoc decides to try something new and be a good AIM employee. Hexus pressures Austin to get their Grom smart speaker into homes, which will unleash a mind control frequency and help them take over the world. Gary plots to kill Austin while Monica becomes paranoid Modoc is trying to kill her. Instead, Modoc fixes the Grom smart speaker and sells his AIM shares to Iron Man. He gets out of his Grumble contract and forms a new aim with Monica Rappuccini outside of Grumble and Hexus's control. This episode was pretty satisfying. Yeah. And that it kind of ended the whole aim takeover arc. Yeah. It could have almost been the end of the series, considering we got a little bit of closure regarding the whole family arc in the previous episode, where at the end of that, they're having dinner together. Yeah. So everything kind of seemed nice and wrapped up here. I was surprised that there was still an episode to go at the end of it. Same here. But I love the way episode nine started out where Modoc visits the Melter at the graveyard. He's like, Melter, give me a sign on what I should do. And then you have like the guy raking leaves. He's like, turn over a new leaf. That's what I call raking, <laughs> turning over new leaves. <laughs> and then there was the guy who was reading to his son in the graveyard and he's like, start a new chapter. 
And then there were people having sex in the cemetery and be like, no, try it from a new angle. <laughs> try something different. That was, wow. And then Modak was like, I can't concentrate with this weirdly busy graveyard. I knew you wouldn't be able to help me, Melter. Wait, that's it. New. Try something new. <laughs> so good. That was good. The final episode, episode 10, was called Days of Future Modoks. After realizing he didn't invite any other kids to lose bar mitzvah, Modok brings a cast of characters from the previous episodes to the reception. He bonds with Lou by dancing with him, and Melissa realizes her dad cares when Whirlwind tells her Modok showed videos of her ice skating. Jody tells Modok she doesn't want things to go back to how they were, but is willing to try to work on their relationship. Then suddenly, Yodok returns and shows Modok through time and how he will die having never realized his dream of world conquest unless his family perishes. Modok allows his family to die and then creates his perfect utopia after taking over the world. In the future, he vows to have it all by bringing his family back from the past. Really dark at the end. Super dark. And also a crazy cliffhanger to end like a series that may not get a second season. Hopefully it does get a second season. According to Jordan Blum, they are working on a season two. The ending was dark, but I wouldn't say it was uncharacteristically dark because some of the humor is dark already within the show. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I was definitely surprised by that uh, kind of twist ending there. This episode had a neat little gag where uh, Melissa shows her dad the phone filter that makes people look like puppets. And when she showed Modoc his puppet face, it looked exactly like Patton Oswalt. And he was like, oh, it's hideous. <laughs> and I also really liked in this episode when Modoc finally does take over the world, the throne that he's sitting on is the Iron Throne. Right. Made, made out of Iron Man. Iron Man. That yeah. was great. <laughs> that was fantastic. I really like that. I really want to see a season two. And I wonder where they can go with it. Like, how can Modoc possibly be redeemed from this ultimate atrocity? I don't think it's going to be that hard. Ultimately, he just has to choose his family over the utopia. By going back? Yeah, and by this point, Emperor Modok knows he made the wrong decision. Yeah. It seems like he already learned his lesson through his grief. That said, time travel is kind of a cheating element to a story in the fact that you could just go back in time and just erase the entire ending that we had here in this season finale. Yeah, that's true. But that does it for this review. Uh, overall, I gave it three and a half stars. The show is funny. Maybe not necessarily as funny as it could or should have been, but just enough for me to have fun with it, to enjoy watching it. I did watch through the whole series twice, and I had a blast both times. The animation is spot on, great voice work, and I think a great overall story. I think it would have gotten a half a star higher if the jokes landed more often, and probably another half star higher if more of the scenes had been relevant to the overall story. There was some filler scenes, and I would say it was kind of overstuffed. There were a ton of characters, maybe one or two too many. It could have been funnier. When I look at shows like Harley Quinn or even Doom Patrol, I laugh so much at those shows. And if you haven't seen them, you definitely should. Yeah, I think the amount of laughter is the same between MODOK and a show like Doom Patrol, but MODOK is making more jokes. Again, I would rather not have the shotgun approach and rather have just well-placed, well-timed, effective jokes. It's about quality over quantity. Exactly, exactly. And you could still be just as heartfelt, probably even more so in the case of Doom Patrol, or funnier in the case of Harley Quinn. So I agree with, you know, the three and a half rating. It's not a bad rating. I still liked the show. But because of the approach they took, and because of the maturity level, probably, I wouldn't say I could recommend it to as many people as I could other shows like it. Right. And of course, you're going to have some people who absolutely hate the show because it's just not their genre of comedy. So there you go. Three and a half stars. That does it for this review. Let us know what you thought about MODOK by writing to us at dynamicdualpodcast at gmail.com or by visiting us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can find links to all of our accounts by visiting our website, dynamicduel.com. And on our site, you can also find a link to our Patreon page where we offer bonus content, including this month's new watch along party happening June 19th. And also new are the pin sets that we're giving out to our $10 and $18 tier patrons, June's pin set being Red Hood versus Punisher. Again, guys, once we hit 50 patrons, we're going to do a bonus podcast episode every month exclusive to Patreon. So help us reach that goal and get more from this show. Our lowest tier is only $2 a month. In our next episode, we will be doing a duel between Wonder Man and Captain Adam. He's yes. one of my favorite characters. I'm so happy we're finally doing an episode with him. It's going to be awesome. This is a big deal. Captain Adam and Wonder Man are huge powerhouses, and Captain Adam is a member of the Justice League, and Wonder Man is a member of the Avengers. 
So look forward to that next week. That does it for this episode. We want to give a big thanks to our executive producers, Ken Johnson, Jace Crump, John Starosky, John Spees, Zachary Hepburn, and John Becchinina for helping make this podcast possible. And we'll talk to you guys next week. Up, up, and away. True believers. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.